It's Tuesday, July 7th. Welcome to Market Forward. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool One, Morgan Housel, and from Motley Fool Deep Value, Ron Gross. This is a heavyweight edition. Holy cow. How are you doing? Thanks for being here. We're here. Good to be here. Um, we got earnings season kicking off with Alcoa. God bless Alcoa. <laughs> <laughs> so, a lot of pressure for poor Alcoa. How much pressure do you think on Quarter Alcoa's? in and quarter out. If you're, if you're the head of investor relations for Alcoa, do you think really that's greater pressure than any other head of IR? I actually do. A little really? bit. But I thought somebody had um, started reporting before Alcoa, and so they're really truly not the first. They're just the biggest. But I, I couldn't swear to that. I, I, I'm sure there are companies that report before Alcoa, but they don't count. <laughs> like just collectively, everyone right. in the financial media, and I guess we're part of that as well to some very small wow. degree. Really, very small degree. Yeah, it it really kicks off when Alcoa reports. So we're gonna we're gonna dig into an earnings preview of sorts. We're also gonna talk about an amazing IPO that is headed our way. But uh, Morgan, where are we now as we kick off earnings season? Keeping in mind that. What's happening in Greece is still happening in Greece. The dollar continues to be strong. And I think, among other things, if you're looking at this earnings season, you have to consider that any company that's doing a substantial amount of business overseas is probably in for some measure of pain based on the strength of the US dollar. Yeah, definitely. And I think this is something I've, that you and I have talked a lot about before. When you have a, a a U.S. company that does business overseas. For most of the last decade, that was that was marketed as great. We have international exposure to protect you from a weak dollar. That's why that's our great. It's going to protect you from a weak dollar. People thought that was wonderful, and for most of the last decade, especially earlier in the 2000s, that was true. The dollar was consistently weakening, and oversales and overseas exposure was a great thing. And now I think we're really seeing that now. Actually, this train goes both ways. And if you have a company that does business overseas, does not mean protection against currency. It is, it just means you have other currency that's going to be volatile, and it can go it can go up just as much as it goes down. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, and and we'll continue to see that impact at least for gosh, who knows, at least for a couple quarters, and it's going to continue to hit um, revenue and filter down to earnings. I don't think expectations for this earnings season are very strong, so we could actually see some some beating, um, some people beating expectations. Uh, S and P five hundred is projected to have a, a decline in earnings of four point four percent on average. Most of that, by far, most of that is in the energy sector. If you strip out energy, it's probably uh, expected to see a two percent increase in earnings. So energy is going to be the the big uh, linchpin here, but also consumer staples and utilities are the other sectors that are are, are projected. To be down. Yeah, USA Today had an article, among other things, that included a a, a chart of some of the biggest losses that are expected in the SP 500. And it basically reads like a who's who list of the energy industry. You know, it's uh, Marathon Oil, Murphy Oil, Chesapeake, Hess, uh, and Darko Petroleum. I mean, it's it's massive, which makes me, I mean, to, to the point you hit on earlier, Ron. Yeah, there's always a little bit of sandbagging that goes on when mm-hmm. when companies are are projecting what their earnings are going to be. But it does seem like this quarter, in aggregate, is legitimately looking 
Not that great. It's not right, but you'll also get you'll get as Morgan was saying, you'll get companies that report adjusted earnings, or they'll tell you what things would have been if there wasn't the currency fluctuations involved, and and sometimes people will focus on those numbers and they'll look that, a little bit better. That's actually how you reported your report cards when you were right. in school. <laughs> if exactly. I had studied for this test, mom, if you just back out these two subjects, you, you know what I thought was cow. interesting that that list of of stocks that are projected to be losers, as you said, vastly energy related. Amazon and Mattel were, were yes. on. Was on that list, and I thought that was interesting. So let's go back to the adjusted earnings sure. for a second. How much credence do you put in that? Is it on a case by case basis? Because I mean, right. So I, I, I put a lot of credence in it and not a lot of credence, okay. and it depends whether I'm looking short term or long term. When I'm thinking about a business over long periods of time, I like to look at adjusted numbers or normalized numbers because currency will fluctuate. If I'm looking right now at how much company how much cash flow did a company generate, you can't ignore one-time occurrences, you can't ignore currency fluctuations, you have to think about all of it. So but that's short-term thinking, not longer term. Well, and particularly and, and I'm blanking on the the company that uh, just did this last week. Um, but it was a company that had come out and said, "Well, this is this is a one-time event." It was basically the fourth quarter in a row that they had a significant one-time event. It's like, look, right. a good analyst at, will not consider that a one-time event. Probably at, at some point, one-time events start to become a trend. Absolutely, and and when when you start to project out into the future, you you ignore those types of one-time in quotes at your own peril. Is there anything in particular you're going to be watching, whether it's an industry, a company? Anything like that? I mean, obviously, energy. I mean, who knows? Maybe if if some of these companies put up really bad numbers, but you project out a few years, maybe we're about to head into a quarter that has an amazing set of opportunities in terms of buying stocks for uh, on the cheap. It's funny. There's a headline I saw yesterday. Uh, the headline was S and P 500 earnings, low expectations, high hopes. And I thought, isn't that, isn't that kind <laughs> of an optimistic? But, no, but you know, we're, we're talking about this quarter's earnings are widely expected to be to be pretty poor. As long as everyone expects it, you shouldn't expect a massive reaction from the market. Those kind of things. If everyone is talking about it, every news article is is preempting this weakness. It's usually not the kind of thing that I think would would move markets terribly. What about but, you? But that, but that also creates room on the upside that if they were better than expected. So that's that's where the low expectations, high hopes kind of. I, I think I think this is one of those corners. I mean, you know, retail is almost always interesting to me for one reason or another. And at this time in the year, retail earnings results become interesting. Not so much in terms of the. Past three months, but in terms of how management is talking about the next three to six months, the extent to which retail, and who knows, maybe that's why Mattel is part of the reason uh, Mattel is on this right. list, but the extent to which retailers are talking up back to school shopping and talking up. The holidays, yeah, and a lot of that. How promotional are they getting? Are they having to discount um, products to get them out the door, or are things relatively firm and margins look good? That kind of informs us a lot about how the economy is moving along. There's expectations that the economy will pick up uh, in the second half of this year, um, and you know, retail consumer spending is obviously a big part of that. Um, on the other side of the coin, I'm really going to be focusing on. Um, some agricultural numbers and mining numbers, because a lot of the deep value portfolio that I manage, we have a lot of exposure to those two sectors. That's where you kind of can find some deep value opportunities now, because those sectors are kind of in the dumps. Yeah. Um, 
I'd love to see them turn around at some point. I don't know if it's this quarter, but it's something I'll be focusing on. How much of the agricultural industry that you're looking at, how much of that is here in the U.S., and how much of that is international exposure? Um, for me, in particular, it's mostly U.S.-based, but there's, there's always a smattering. The companies I'm thinking about now, um, Titan International, Modine Manufacturing, do have a lot of European exposure, which is hurting me on the dollar side, too. So, I'm getting kind of a double whammy about exposure to certain industries, both here and abroad, that are, are hurting, and then I'm, I'm getting hit by the dollar. Do you ever get any hints isn't the right word, but any any sort of clues from results from huge companies like Caterpillar, like does that give you any indication of what of what's in store for agriculture and mining? Without a doubt, the the, the big bellwether companies like a Caterpillar, um, you know, Titan would be um, uh, Titan sells into Caterpillar or Deer, and they can can kind of give you a hint. Now they they don't tell you anything about expectations. Um, you know, are people expecting better or worse, and how the stock trades as a result of that? But they tell you stuff about how how a company in an absolute, not relative, an absolute sense. Um, is is doing. I have great news for anyone. <laughs> this better be good. I have great news for anyone who is a fan of dessert because Hostess Brands, as we know, is back. Uh, Hostess Brands, for those who may have forgotten, went bankrupt in 2012. This is, of course, the company behind Twinkies, all the just the entire portfolio of Hostess cakes, donuts, donuts, ho hos, etc. <laughs> Um, bankruptcy in 2012, bought by Apollo Global Management in 2013 for just north of $400 million. And now comes the news that they're looking at an IPO. Uh, at, at a nice, lofty valuation. At, that, that's, a good, that's a good turnaround. At a valuation of somewhere in the neighborhood of $2.5 billion. Let me ask you one, here's one sort of part of this story that I, I find a little curious, Ron, which is that- Dividends? Uh, no, not so much okay, the dividends. We'll talk about that. In well, a we'll get to that yeah. in a second. But it was uh, the story was that apparently Apollo Management was looking to just sell the company mm, outright, right. and they decided to take it public instead. Is that I, I, I don't know? You, is that an encouraging sign? Well, you, or is you that... shop it around and you see what's what somebody's willing to pay, whether it's a strategic or a financial buyer. Um, financial meeting a private equity firm, and and they seem to be getting indications of 2.4, as you said, 2.5 billion. They think they could probably do better in the public markets. They can't be sure, but the investment bankers do a little research. They see what the demand looks like for for the stock, and they think they can do better in the public markets. And that's the decision. And uh, to your point about the dividend, reportedly, uh, Hostess is going to be borrowing money to pay a dividend. To its owners. Now, if I was a if I was a public equity buyer interested in the IPO, and I heard that they were going to take out some debt prior to the IPO, pay it out to shareholders, and then take the public the company public after that, it's not something I would be thrilled to see. Rolls Royces don't pay for themselves, Chris. Sometimes you got to borrow it. <laughs> uh, depending on what's in the S one, is this? Is this of interest to you? It could be. You know, it all for me boils down to valuation. But they they are some great brands. You come up against the headwinds of, of supposedly we're eating healthier as a nation. Um, I'm not sure I buy it, but it does seem to be showing up in the numbers. Maybe they'll do a little organic acquisition of some kind. I, I see that to me would be a red flag if, if Hostess <laughs> well, if goes they, public they go, and they decide, well, we're going to hedge and we're going to pick up I don't know some competitor that Annie's or something like that. Stick to Glute, their knitting, gluten free Twinkie. No, no, no. But I mean, to, to that point, 
Yeah, you can look at any number of trends and say, well, yes, we're getting healthier as a nation and and possibly even as a planet. I don't know, Morgan. I feel like there's always going to be, and by always I mean for the next 25 years, there's going to be a market for what Hostess is making. Oh, sure, there'll there'll be a market, but can you count on it to grow like it did in the past in the seventies, three, four, five decades. I think something that's really fascinating. That's what international markets are for. Right, right. There you go. <laughs> something that's fascinating is that forever, people have used Coca-Cola as an example of here's a company that I know is going to be around in fifty years, and it will almost undoubtedly. If you just look at the cola sales of it, Coke sales in the United States have declined. Uh, Per case volume every year for the since two thousand one, I think. Oh yeah, yeah. No, we're we're well past a decade so the, of the, declining. The company sales. itself is more diversified than that, so it's okay. But it's you know it's it's easy to look at a long standing trend and say you know therefore this is going to be around forever. But things change sometimes. So. We we kicked this around last week. We got a question from a listener about sort of where do you draw the line in your investing in terms of. Ethics for some people, it's tobacco products. For some people, it's firearms. For you know, and and certainly for people who say, you know what, big sugar is a category right. that's off limits for me. So I'm not, I'm selling my shares of Coca Cola and Pepsi and that sort of thing. And you know, if if that's if that's your thinking, then you clearly want no part of a Hostess brand's IPO. I think what's important when we're talking about socially responsible investing is that everyone's definition of what is socially responsible is different. So some people would say Coca-Cola, there's, there's a great example of an icon of, of a great U.S. company, you know, just resembles happiness and goodness in America. Someone else would say diabetes kills X hundred thousand people per year, and therefore Coca-Cola is a terrible company. So I, I was looking at the, end the other day, Vanguard uh, has a socially responsible index fund, and I was looking through some of the holdings, and it was... Bank of America, Pepsi, <laughs> J.P. Morgan, a lot of companies that you could very easily say, you know, that company's kind of screwed a lot of people. <laughs> so, Bank of America is a holding <laughs> yeah. in a socially responsible. You have a problem with that? Run by Vanguard. But you yeah. know what? The analysts who put it in there may have said, look, it. They have this program to extend credit to impoverished neighborhoods and what. You could make an argument, and it just goes to show, like, it's just it's a different definition for everyone. It's not a black and white issue. That's fair. So I think social investing. It's different for everyone, so you just need to come up with a, a system that helps you sleep at night. But don't don't expect that everyone else is going to agree with you. Is this something, Ron, that is more of an issue, or not more of an issue? Is it something that is more prevalent for individual investors than it is for professional investors? I'm just thinking back to when you were running a hedge fund. I'm right. I'm, I'm curious if any of the people you were working with, if this ever came up at all, or they were just like, no, I'm just interested in making more money this year than I made last year? <laughs> the answer will be anecdotal. I can't speak for the whole industry. No, no, no I'm, but, just, I'm, but I'm looking yeah, for your no, own we, we didn't consider, um, consider it too much. And in fact, since we, were, we had an activist focus, if we saw something um, that we didn't like about a company, it potentially would create an opportunity for us to go in and, and, and make uh, some changes from an activist perspective. But I think for the most part, this is a retail investor issue more than an institutional. Ron Gross, Morgan Housel, just two of the people that you should be following on Twitter if you're not already. Thanks for being here, guys. Our pleasure. Thanks. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.